we but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Happiness, what is it and how do we get some of that stuff? Is it an elusive concept or is it closer than we think? My guest on today's episode of Shining Star is here to answer those questions and a little bit more. From inmates to CEOs, she has helped thousands of people attract the happiness they want. As a graduate of Ohio State University, she obtained a degree in sawmill management that led her to receive multiple awards for her work in environmental conservation and restoration. Fast forward to today, and she is now the author and co-author of several books, a prison minister, a public speaker, and she teaches classes on utilizing the power of our mind and the power of positive thinking. In 2020, she received a doctorate of divinity and has dedicated herself to helping others find happiness. Joining me from California via video conference is Reverend Dr. Mary Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. This is absolutely great to be able to be in modern technology land and connect with you all the way across the uh, continental U.S. In the introduction, I mean, I really painted your background in a fairly broad strokes. Uh, so do me a favor and just start out by uh, telling me a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Well, I grew up in Ohio, Ohio State. <laughs> and, uh, and when I was in the lumber business, uh, working as a secretary growing up in Springfield, Ohio, I fell in love with the lumber business, and the gentleman who owned the company was quite a tyrant. And uh, in the office where there were 15 of us, in a year and a half, 11 people quit. And every time they did, I'd say, hey, I'll do that job. I'll do that job. And he said, okay, go do it. Go do it. And so I learned a lot. I wanted to have my own lumber business, which is why sawmill management attracted me. But at that time, this was... 78, and it was important to corporations to look for women to bring into management. And so a couple of days after I graduated, I had a job with Crown Zellerbeck in, the, in Puget Sound in the Northwest, buying wood from sawmills to supply their pulp and paper mills. Okay. And I just loved it. It was just one of the greatest things. I was negotiating contracts almost every day for years. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, became pretty good at that. And then I worked so hard that my husband had an affair. So I thought, okay, time to leave. <laughs> and was... just at that time, a 50 megawatt wood-fired power plant was being constructed here in Northern California. And they were looking for someone who knew how to find the wood to make this power plant go because it would require 100 semi-truck loads of wood a day, seven days a week. Mm. And, and uh, they interviewed me for seven hours, and they said, this is who we need. And so I did that for 10 years. And then the uh, Western Shasta Resource Conservation District, special district, was looking for a new manager. And they needed someone who could write and negotiate. And so I became their manager for um, 13 years. And that was a reverse of sawmill management because it was finding grants 
to rehabilitate streams, to do fuel reduction, to help make healthy forests. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was done there, I went from a three-person operation to a 30-person operation and over $4 million in grants every year. So then it was time to retire. And the next weekend, our minister at church decided she would retire. So threw myself into managing a 400-member church. So it's been a, a wonderful career. And all through it, my number one person that inspired me the most was my mother. Because when my dad died when I was 10, and she had to go to work to save our house, and she was the most positive person in the world. I never knew how positive she was until I found the book, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. And I thought, that's my mother. How could, how could he know my mother? And so I read it and read it and read it, and it, I embodied those principles. And it's worked really well in my life. No matter how hard things got, I always know, wait a minute, there's another way. There's another way to look at this in a positive way. And my curiosity uh, would always help me question everything and and uh, talk to people. I, I would just talk to everybody about anything. And So anyway, it served me really well in life. So this uh, the book by Norman Vincent Peale, that was just a major influence redirecting your life, would you say? Totally. I was, I was kind of a space cadet. I mean, I, I went to a strict Catholic <laughs> school and, and uh, never had any goals. I didn't, what were goals? I don't know. I was happy. And my mom kept saying, when, I, when you go to high school, you have to learn typing. Because if you can type, you'll get a job anywhere. And I thought, oh, that's a goal. Okay, I can do that. And so a couple of days out of high school, an insurance company hired me to type insurance contracts. Mm-hmm. And that's before computers and whiteout. So if you typed a whole page and you made one error, you had to throw it away. Sure, yeah. So yeah. I went from manual typewriter at school to selectric fast typewriters at this company. And 90 cents an hour, by the way. And wow. so after getting married, my husband was in the Navy, and I got a job working at the Navy Exchange on Whidbey Island in Washington, typing purchase orders for a dollar an hour. I got a 10% raise. I was thrilled. And then going back home, that's when I started working at the lumberyard and things just escalated from there. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful life. It sounds like it's been a great journey and it's great that it seems to have put you in a place and a location that you're meant to be. It sounds like you're, you're then overseeing a church as a reverend. Am I correct in that? I did that for three years, and then okay. my husband has had um, really bad surgery experiences, and so I needed to retire. And so now I'm working out of the house, and I have a wonderful prison ministry that this philosophy helps so much. Mm-hmm. And so um, my other minister friend who I served with said, Mary, these are the kids that you never had. You're just enjoying helping them, you know. I've got four prisoners I correspond with. So it sounds like your goals were completely different when you were younger then. It had to be a spiritual thing because it Mm -hmm. just, you know, oh, take this road. Okay, now take that road. Okay, why not, you know? It's always one of those things where when I talk to younger folks, I always kind of want to give them some great words of advice. And if you had the ability now to talk to younger you, what would you say to her? If you really believe you want it, you can do it. You can do it. I mean, I proved that to myself in my 20s when I went to college. I was 28. And I thought, I'm going to get this degree in Salmo management, then I'm going to get some hotshot job, 
and I'm going to get a 3.0. That was my goal. Mm. Physics, chemistry, all this stuff is just like hard. And so I graduated with a 3.1. And I thought, Mary, why didn't you want a 3.5 or a 4.0? You know, Mm -hmm. I was so focused in my mind. And so when you are that focused, the natural magnetic energy of your life in your in your mind and subconscious mind draws to you things that support you and we forget that so if we're drawing negative things then we're going to have a rough time but if we're drawing positive things and, and good things i'm always surprised where they come from it's like i'd have never thought of that i would have never thought of that and here here's another opportunity I agree. And I I wish those were the things that somebody had told me when I was younger, you know, to kind of look around and and notice (laughs) your world and your, you know, what's happening in your world that's guiding you towards what you need to do, especially at that age. At that age, it is, I mean, sometimes it's hard to decide at my age now what I want to be when I grow up. But uh, even back then, I remember everything always guiding me towards broadcasting, even though I didn't initially go down that road. And uh-huh. I, I, sometimes I think about all the time I could have saved if I had just done that early on, but I didn't. I always think, I think it's a God thing because I would have never thought of it myself. Uh-huh. And it, definitely. Last year, I had a radio program. Once a week, a, a community radio station invited me because mm-hmm. they knew how much I loved books. So I did a show on Saturday on two nonfiction books that I liked, and I, I enjoyed that. But then other things are calling me. And so I, I, I had to say, you can't do it all. And so that was a good experience. Okay, move on to the next thing. Oh, that's awesome. And also, I, I think as a younger man, there was very few times that I really tuned into the news. But nowadays, you tune into the news, and it seems like a lot of, I don't know, what do we call it, unhappiness is happening, or people at least seem sometimes unhappy. And I think that's the way news naturally kind of skews things anyway. But what would you explain to somebody how you find happiness in everything that's happening in, in the world. Cause sometimes it gets overwhelming. You know, as, as a minister also, I hear that from so many people and I want to jump in and support them, but I can't cause I know the truth. Happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. Are we going to spend the next four hours worrying about something, crying about something, judging people is wrong, you know, because The truth is, everybody's doing the best they can every minute, Mm -hmm. every minute, whether it's the prisoner, the drunk, the addict, everybody's doing the best they can. And what that does is it brings up compassion. That's the best. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it brings up compassion for myself at the end of the day. And I go, did I do my best today? You know, did I really do my best? And so um, if that's the best people can do, and the world looks like it works, uh, the world looks like it looks, I know the power of positive thinking has a lot of opportunity in the world because it's just the creative process. Everything is energy. Everything is energy. And you might have heard the words, you are what you believe. You attract what you believe. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's, It's actual energy movement. And it's also called seed soil plant you plant a seed positive or negative you water it tomorrow positive or negative and then the soil which is our subconscious mind is actually a magnet 
okay, that's what she wants. It used to be called in our church the Laurel and Hardy uh, way the world works. Okay, that's what she's focused on. Give her more of that. And when we can stop that negative pathway and prove to ourselves that if we do focus positive, oh my God, I can change my life. Yeah, it's kind of the basis of this show too. It's it's excellent advice, and and in essence, to uh, recap, you're saying the happiness is within people. You just have to find it, right? It is, uh, and, and you know, for a minister too, I I don't avoid the news because that tells me what to pray for that day, mm. and so that's another way of just contributing a little bit to uh, a, a better world. All right. All right. Yeah, I wish I could ignore the news more, but I can't, unfortunately. Oh, I can't. I can't. Uh, (laughs) But one of the things that you said while you were talking about that, one of the things that struck me was the thing that I see people and myself doing the least, and that is having compassion for yourself. I can very easily give other people compassion, but I find myself being harder on myself than I would to somebody else. How do you give somebody advice on being compassionate to themselves? I think it goes back to that that truth that everybody's doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And if they are having trouble, they don't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. I had a woman yesterday at church that her father died on Wednesday, and she was she'd been crying since Wednesday. She just didn't know what to do. So I talked about that, and I talked about, you know, if science is right and string theory is how the world operates, there are nine different dimensions we're going to go into as we transition from one to the other. And it's all good. And it's all based on love. Mm-hmm. That's the background energy of the universe. So there are ways to just change your thinking. And if you can, if you can grasp that, it changes your life. Very good. Very good. So you kind of shared a little bit of a story there about how you were helping her. Can you give me a story where you just realized how much a difference that you were making in somebody's life, a time where you went, wow, this is the path I'm meant to be on. This is where I'm making a difference. For seven years, I wrote a monthly magazine article on the power of the mind. And this gentleman in prison for life, in prison when he was 19 for murder, and he wrote me at age 36 and he said, is there anything here in this philosophy that can help me adjust to being in prison for life? I said, absolutely. And so we've been corresponding and uh, we published our book of letters and it's his title, My Search for Ancient Wisdom, One Prisoner's Journey of Transformation. Okay. And it's all, every one of our letters. And he was, he was so angry and such a gangster when he went in prison. Mm. He, he was afraid of being hurt. So he would always hurt the other person first. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, as I started helping him see that that other person was doing the best they could. The guards are doing the best they can. The administration's doing the best they can. So why beat them up, you know? Mm-hmm. Why not have compassion for them? And then maybe they'll have a little compassion for you. Because you got the guards thinking the prisoners are crap. you got the prisoners thinking the guards are crap. And then you got the gangs. And what good can come out of this? So one day he was coming out. This is about... Six years into our correspondence, it took that long to, for, for things to change. He was coming out of the cafeteria, and one of the guards that always picked on him stopped him and said, Nichols, you've got blue shoelaces on. I want those shoelaces. You can't have blue shoelaces. Usually, he would have just pounded the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. He took a deep breath, 
and he reached down and he took his shoelaces out and handed them to him. Mm. To the shock and awe of everybody else in the cafeteria. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what, that's one of my favorite. And now he's become kind of like a prison Buddha. Okay. And he's one of the new guys who walk in the door and they're scared to death. And he sits them down and he says, there's another way, if you're interested, there's another way to be here. And he teaches. Now he's, his motto is each one teach one. And now he just turned 50 and he's going to be there for the rest of his life. What a gift to people he is. That's wonderful. Am I correct in saying that you helped him write that? Is, is that what I heard? Oh, it's our letters okay. from his first okay. letter to me to uh, our last letter about a year ago. That's awesome. It is. It's really amazing. So you said that the book by Norman Vincent Peale was very influential on kind of where you're at today. Is there somebody in your life that, that you found to be very influential to guiding you to where you are now? You know, I was, I was looking at that the other day because it was my mother. She was positive. Mm. But my grandmother, mm. her mom, as I kept going through things and thinking about it, there were 11 of us uh, cousins from my mother's brothers and sisters, us cousins. And whenever we'd get together, our parents would just be crazy positive, crazy happy, tell stories that would have us laughing, rolling on the floor of when they were kids, because grandma always told them they were very poor, doing laundry for people, cooking for people, working in the fields. And she would say, when you go out, do everything you can and have fun. Just have fun. And the stories we would hear would just blow your mind. So it was in, in embedded in the family. That's wonderful. I can't say that my uh, family was as positive, but uh, they were very loving, and that's pretty much all we needed. Well, uh, most people who come into our center are coming in pain. Okay. And so what we help them look at is not how bad your family was, because there's all kinds of families, but what have you believed yourself, believed in yourself in a negative way? I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm no good. Or da, da, da. I can't tell you how many women say there's no good men in Reading, and then the men say there's no good women in Reading. <laughs> and then they draw uh, inappropriate people to yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, when you're saying there's no good men in Reading or vice versa, then, yeah, that's what you're going to get is, is no good men and no good women. Proof positive. Yeah, uh, positive change. I always uh, like to ask my guests, how do you define positive change? How do you realize that you're making positive change? Happiness. Yeah. I'm not waking up with dark thoughts in the morning. Mm. I'm not looking at someone who's homeless on the street and thinking badly of them. Certainly. I'm sending them love. Mm -hmm. When I am in the midst of, I, I was at the crisis center uh, here in Shasta County for a long time before COVID. And I saw a lot of dregs of society mm. that by communicating with them and just being a happy person, it lifted them up. Mm. And so that gives me comfort that I've got a purpose and it's not drilling something into you. It's just being an example, the best example I can, I can be. Certainly. We were just talking about the concept of what you think is what you'll attract. So I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. 
how does complaining make you literally sick or literally make you sick? I should say. Yeah. You know, I had a lady call me from LA and she'd written, read an article I'd written and she said, can you help me? Because I just retired and now I've been diagnosed with hepatitis C Mm. and I'm shocked. And I said, well, if you know anything about this philosophy, there are areas of our body where negative energy settles. And so when you're stressed a lot and angry a lot, you may get an ulcer. And people can go, oh, I got that. But when it comes to other parts of the body, um, they don't connect it very well. Hmm. But there are a couple people in the world who have spent decades connecting the dots. And I said, do you mind if I pull this book off the shelf by Louise Hay? And she said, oh, no, that'd be fine. Looked up hepatitis. Deep, deep regret. Mm. Deep regret. Mm. So does that make sense? And she, she started crying and she said, oh, my God, a year ago I retired from the job I dearly loved and I've regretted it every day. Mm. I said, sweetheart, you need to get a new hobby. <laughs> yes. But it's that dramatic, and it takes months of complaining about something. Is it, Are you complaining about your body or other people? And things shift and come to show you this is not a good, healthy thing for you. I also heard it put in a way that if you're telling yourself that I've got this going on somewhere inside you, we'll say a wart. Is that a wart on my finger? We'll, we'll make it basic and simple. Eventually, your body or your brain or however you want to look at it is going to be convinced, yes, that ward is there, whether it's there or not. Is that the kind of the same concept? It is. Yeah. It is. I had a, a relative who had a really great electrical business, mm-hmm. and his partner uh, undermined him and left with all the money. He was so angry, so deeply, deeply angry, because mm-hmm. they worked together for years. A year later, he got pancreatic cancer. Mm. Now, most people don't know anything about pancreatic cancer, Mm -hmm. but that is an area where really, really negative energy settles. Mm -hmm. It just settles there. And if you add more to it, over time, things happen. Mm. We've been talking about happiness, finding happiness. And I'm always reminded of the time when uh, Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy came out. The joke is always, you know, you'd have comedians that I'd say, oh, There it is. That's all I had to do. So we're putting a very basic concept to this. But as we all know, we all have personal obstacles, things that sometimes make it difficult to be happy. So the question is, is what's your method for identifying and removing personal obstacles to happiness? You know, now I'm a caregiver. My husband has short-term memory, like about that long. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. this is not what I planned. <laughs> so we're going to the grocery. I've got a long list of things to buy for Thanksgiving. And he said, well, just let me come and I'll roll the cart and you fill the cart. Okay, great. So we go into the vegetable section. I put one thing in the cart and he leaves. He goes to the other part of the store. So I've got an armful of stuff and I can't find him. Well, he was in the wine section, bought two cases of wine. I'm going, I have to go back and get all this stuff. And so I'm trying to be calm in a store, obviously. And I get the other stuff and I can't find him. And all of a sudden I look and goes, I already checked out. I'll meet you in the car. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got all this stuff I have to check out. <laughs> and, you know, I had a flash of anger. 
Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at it, I thought, Mary, you forgot mm. that he forgot. And he was just doing what he did. So I have to have a good sense of humor. And sometimes I don't. And I have to forgive myself and say, you know, I'm going to do better next time. And that goes back to the same thing we were talking about earlier, giving yourself compassion when you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes anger as a caregiver can, can happen very fast. You know, the third time the question's asked in five minutes and uh, it's like, where's, where's my patient? So I started a caregiver support group mm-hmm. <laughs> and that helps me a lot as well as helping others. Excellent. Excellent. You're still doing work as a prison minister. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah still it's, doing it's that. Not... You've obviously got your hands full as a caregiver. Is there any other projects that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to oh let folks gosh. know about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I, you, I, you, I is your retirement officially busier than your actual work life before then? <laughs> I have to be careful because I love writing. I just uh-huh. love writing. Okay. And I recently worked with a PR firm that helped me get like shows like this. And now they've recommended me to a firm that looks for books and movie scripts to help producers, movie producers. Mm -hmm. And so I've pitched the book to them and they're interested in contemplating and making it into a movie. Oh, wonderful. And so I'm just like, oh my God, that's so awesome. And then I remembered when I left Puget Sound and came down here and got divorced, I learned movie script writing and I wrote a script about my time up there and what happened. And I was able to get an agent and she took it around Hollywood and they said, she writes really well, but there's not enough sex and violence in here. (laughs) And so just recently, because I found the producer that's interested in our book, I pulled the script out and I spent some time spicing it up, so to speak. And my husband read it the other day and he said, I couldn't sleep all night. So I guess I I did pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, got it in there. So next week, I get to pitch the script to a producer and see what they think. Very cool. Well, I hope that works out for you. How fun would that be? It'd be excellent. It'd be one of those things. And and, and, uh, that is something that, in fact, you writing these books, you're going to have an effect on other people. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing to know. Well, there's another prisoner who found me through the newspaper ad for our church, and he wrote and said, I don't have any family. I don't have any friends. Could someone correspond with me? I said, of course. So his story was that he was raised by a Hells Angels father. And growing up, he and his little sister were dragged from one meth house to another. Mm. That was how they grew up. And finally, because he didn't get along well in that environment, they dropped him and his little sister off at Kmart and abandoned them. It would make an incredible movie because for the next 15 years, he traveled all over the North State and he kept a base camp under a bridge here in Reading. And finally, he decided, you know, I really don't know anything. So he would get books out of the Reading Library and read them under the bridge. And he read some art books and he's incredibly intelligent, incredibly. And he realized he's an artist. And so when we were going to put our book together, I said to Michael, what would you like on the cover? And he described it. And 
I sent that to Charles. I said, draw some pictures of this. And they were exquisite. So Charles' artwork is in Michael's book. He's amazing. And I said, if you want me to hold on to your art until you get out, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> in the last year, I've received 264 pieces of his artwork. Oh, wow. And he's very prolific. He has a lot of time. <laughs> mm, well, yeah. And so I, I scan it, I log it, and I'm keeping it for him for his portfolio when it gets out. And another cute story, if you have time. Sure. He is, he is learning this power of positive thinking and how to do affirmations. And his celly cellmate has been telling other prisoners about this, and they're going, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should ask him. So they march into his cell and demand that he write affirmations for them. And, and, he, and he's telling me in, in a letter, he said, they come in like they're robbing a bank. Thugs are <laughs> robbing a bank. Demanding these positive affirmations. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess you're uh, putting out into the universe what you want. Maybe not the best approach. <laughs> anyway, so I'm having a blast. Dr. Reverend Mary Mitchell is her name. Is there a place where people can go to find your books? Oh, Amazon for sure. Amazon, definitely yeah. up there. Uh, it has been wonderful talking to you. I do have one more question for you, so but I just wanted to say thank you very much for being a part of the show, and I wish you the best doing everything that you were doing. <laughs> as as I'm talking to you, I get a little overwhelmed here. So uh, I know out. people say, "When are you going to slow down?" I said, "My energy level is so high, I forget that." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say mine was every day, but it's not. <laughs> All right, so my last question is one I ask of all my guests, and it is if you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would that thought be? No matter what's going on, there's always another way. There's another way to happiness. There's a way to figure out any problem. There's always another way. And I found this through talking with hundreds and hundreds of people uh, when I was buying wood for the power plants, you know, what's going on? What's going on? There's always another way to be it, curiosity, I guess is the word, having tense curiosity mm-hmm. and you'll find the way. I like it. I like it. I always like to have my guests snap their fingers in hopes that uh, we actually make something like that happen. So go ahead and do that. Would you, Mary? Remember. We can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. 